Welcome to the Dr. Budgill Podcast. I am super excited to have a Hollywood superstar in front of me, Peter Facinelli. He's going to be too modest to admit to all his success, but we're going to hear all about all the amazing things he's done in his life. And, um, you know, P- Peter, I'm, I'm close with Peter's sister. We'll give her a little shout out. Lisa, who helped to put this together. So thank you to Lisa and Ooh. Peter, man. Thank you so much for taking the to, uh, uh, to super, a, uh, super excited to super excited to be on. Thank you for having me. So, as we were just discussing briefly before we started, uh, the podcast is really about capturing stories that inspire, and uh, you know, stories of hustle and grind, and that you know can really empower other folks that hear them. I think the more times you hear an empowering story, the more uh, the more you enable people to believe that yes, they can do it, and you know, just. Mm-hmm. Going through your story the last couple of days, I was so excited when we were able to book this. You know, you're a guy who has parents who were immigrants who came from Italy. You had a humble upbringing in Queens. I think you guys grew up in Ozone Park. You went to Catholic high school. You went to NYU. And, you know, fast forward, you know, many years later, you've been in, I don't know, a million TV shows, a million movies. You're super well known for your uh, for, for your work on Twilight, you know, the movie adaptation of that series. Um, you're, you've, you're a writer, you're a director, you're a producer. You just have a movie that was released, The Vanished, just came out very, I mean, in the last few weeks, I would think, right? That it just came yeah. out. A month ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's um, anyone who, you know, wherever you stream movies, you can find that. So, you know, Apple iTunes, Amazon, it's, it's, it's the new, new, I guess, the new world of movies. Um, you were on uh, a Showtime series, Nurse Jackie. You, you've been, you've been, you've been everywhere. Um, so you know, I guess you know, just kind of start way back because I think that's really where a lot of the magic is. You know, yeah. when your your parents, you guys were all born here, the first to be born here from your family, right? You and your siblings. Your parents came came from Italy. I think both of your yeah. parents. Yeah, both of my parents uh, were were born in Italy. And then me and my sisters were, my dad came over when he was 17 or 18. And then he met my mom actually in Canada at a wedding, a family wedding. Um, and so she was from Italy as well. So we, but we were all, me and my sisters were all born in New York. Your mom was born in Italy too, right? She was yeah. an immigrant as well. So, so talk to me a little bit about growing up in Queens. Um, you know, I'm sure, I don't know if Ozone Park at that time was a predominantly Italian neighborhood. I know like the, the boroughs were kind of segregated, you know, way back in the day, but by the, when we were kids, you know, there was a little bit more integration. Um, but was, what did your parents kind of move to a predominantly Italian neighborhood? Um, it was, it was Italian, but it was right on the border of Brooklyn. So it was heavily Hispanic and Italian, uh, my neighborhood. Most of my best friends were Hispanic. Uh, my three best friends were Cuban. Uh, I went to a grade school. I was, it was predominantly, uh, my classroom was Hispanic. I was, I was uh, the minority, I think, in my class. Um, but, but I never saw that growing up. Like it was, you know, you don't race, it doesn't exist when you're a kid because you're just, uh, you know, everybody's your friend that's in school. So you don't look at them differently like that. But there was racism in, in the neighborhood. I remember, uh, you know, we were close to Howard Beach and uh, and I just remember I was about 10 or 11 years old and there was a, a guy that, that was, he was an African-American guy that was coming home from work and there was these kids that were beating him up with hockey sticks, these white kids. And I, start, I started screaming and my, my, uh, at them and my, my sisters came out and they started screaming at the kids and the kids ran off. And then, uh, and then we called an ambulance and, and the police actually took it at 11 years old. The police took me around the neighborhood to kind of look for the kids and th- we couldn't find them. But that was my first experience with like, I didn't understand like why they were beating him up or w- what the issues was, you know, cause I, I didn't, I wasn't taught it, you know, racism is really taught. It wasn't really taught in my house. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's sad to say that where the world is now, like, yeah, how things yeah. are, it's just, it's something that is like so just so so pervasive. You know, I grew up in Brooklyn when I was when I was really little, and it was you know a melting pot. You know, there was yeah, you know, again, what you never thought about race. And that's uh, what I, one of the things that I love about New York, though it's it's really a melting pot of different people and pl- and occupations and um, just different higher you know pe- people just having different jobs. And I, I remember I used to love to sit on on like benches and just 
watch people in Manhattan go by and, and it's just a, a palette of all these different experiences that people are having. You know, there's, there's no one, you know, no two people passed by that were the same. It was really wonderful and interesting. It is. It is actually amazing. You know, now you see everyone walking by with their masks on, but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty wild. Everyone has something to do and everyone has somewhere to go. And it's just so packed. There's like a million people walking in every direction and, you know, and everyone has their story, all races, you know, uh, all, all sexual orientations. And, you know, New York, New York is, is truly a very special place. Um, but kind of go, going back to like the racist stuff. Well, I grew up, well, I grew up in Brooklyn when I was really little, when we moved to Long Island. So it was interesting because we moved, I was the only Indian kid in my, in, in my school, you know, when we moved out there, it was a predominantly, you know, Irish Italian neighborhood, a very blue collar part of South shore of Long Island. And that was the first time I actually ex experienced racism, which was, which was odd for me. Cause you know, coming from a place like, you know, like Ozone Park where you grew up or, you know, I was in Start City, it was just a totally, you know, foreign, foreign experience. Um, yeah. so, kind of, so kind of, I know a little bit about your upbringing just because of Lisa and Joanne, you know, they kind of shared what it was like for them. And, mm. um, you know, kind of fast forwarding a little bit. So in terms of like the acting bug, I know you studied, you studied acting in college and you went to a Catholic high school. Was any, were you part of like drama and, you know, acting girl? Were you part of like the drama club? Did they have a drama club in your uh, high school? Yes. And uh, I went to St. Francis prep. Um, and I don't even know why I went there. To be honest, like I was, I didn't know where to go for high school. And I just heard that that was a really, good high school to go to i never went and visited it and i didn't realize that it was an hour and a half away from my house so i had to take four buses to get there and four buses to get home um otherwise if i knew i would have picked a i would have picked a, a school that was closer but uh, they did have a, a a great theater program but i wasn't in it because i was too shy i mean i was so shy in high school that i couldn't even get in the lunch line at high school because I was afraid of like, I dropped something, somebody might look at me or, you know, I do something foolish. Because there was 3,500 kids in my school. It's very intimidating when you look at that lunch line and all these bigger kids are like on the lunch line getting their food. And uh, and so I would go to this, to the opposite end of the, uh, to the cafeteria and I would get a pretzel from this lady who sold pretzels in, the, in this little cart. And I'd get a pretzel and an orange juice and just sit down and I was, kind of a wallflower i didn't want anybody to look at me um even and, like when and, you were even like when you were like like one of the upperclassmen you know i when i became a senior that was the first time it took me three years to actually get into the lunch line when i was a senior i finally got the courage to actually go and and get into the lunch line so so yeah i kind of grew into uh that but but for the first three years i honestly it was pretzels and orange juice for me for lunch and um but I always, when I was younger, had this desire and this dream of, of wanting to be an actor, but I was super shy. I never performed. Uh, I was very quiet. I mean, my sisters will tell you, like, they never would think, oh, Peter would become a, an actor because he's so quiet, you know? But there was kind of this burning desire inside me to, to want to be an actor. I remember seeing this movie, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, when I was younger. It must have been like 10 or 11 or 12. It was Paul Newman and, and Robert Redford. And those guys, it was, a, you know, two guys playing cowboys. And, and it was just fun. It looked like they were having the best time. And, I was, and, I, and then I was at a school and we were able to take out these books. And I remember getting out this little picture book. And it was a little autobiography book on Paul Newman. And I was looking through all his movies. And I was like, wow, that looks like a fun thing to do. I, I want to do that. And I didn't have an idea of how I would do it. Uh, I just thought I w I'd like to do it. And, and that kind of burning desire kind of grew in me. And then when I, when I got a little older, uh, and, and it, when I was in like, towards the end of high school, I remember telling my parents like, Hey, I think I want to be an actor when I grow up and, and telling two, you know, Italian, right. <laughs> you know, they, they, we don't know, we didn't know anybody in the industry and they came, they, you know, immigrated from Italy. It was like saying I wanted to go to Mars, you know, they, they literally just laughed at me. And so I thought, okay, well, I don't want to tell them that anymore. So the next time they asked me what I wanted to be, I said a lawyer, because it got like, oh, a lawyer in the family. That's very prestigious, you know? So I kind of, after a while, 
I, uh, I started telling that to people like my family. Oh, I think I'm going to, I'll be a lawyer. You know, there was part of me that liked the idea of being a lawyer in the sense that you get up and, uh, and it's kind of like acting where you get up in front of the jury and you have to present a case and it's way higher stakes, but it is a form of theater. And I don't know where it came from because I was super shy. And if somebody said, Hey, you want to do this play? I would have been like, no, as a matter of fact, I remember there was a play, I think I was in like eighth grade or seventh grade and everybody had to do this play. And I literally called in sick that day because I couldn't do it. I was that shy. So part of me really wanted to be an actor and the other part of me was terrified of, of performing. Um, so I don't know how that, how, how that went out, but what I, ever acted like, yeah you know, it was the, uh, yeah i wanted to so. i wanted to be able to do the job of acting because i thought it would be fun i think what was fun for me was the idea of like what became fun i think also was just the idea of becoming other people and like and, and if and when i became other people then nobody was looking at me you know because when you play a character they're not looking at you they're looking at the person you create you know so uh so it wasn't until probably senior year in high school, I met a guy who uh, was a manager and, uh, and I started talking to him and, and I started taking acting classes because um, he taught acting classes. And, and he kind of changed my life, this guy, his name is Mark Amundsen. He used to manage uh, Steve Buscemi, Willem Dafoe. Uh, and so I, I just happened to meet him and, and, uh, and I took his classes and he said listen if you're interested in acting you really need to study it you know a, a surgeon doesn't pick up a scalpel and start operating and, and and like a lawyer doesn't just uh you know start start delivering a case to, to the jury he, they go to school they study it so with his help i transferred into nyu and i started studying acting there where were you before that i was i went to st john's university for a year I was at St. John's University. I was actually studying uh, pre-law because I was still kind of like, oh, well, I'll just study pre-law and I'll go to law school. But then he kind of changed the trajectory of my life, this one person. I mean, it, it, it's that incredible that one person could actually change the trajectory of your life. Because if I hadn't met him, I honestly would have continued down the path of law thinking there's no way I could be an actor you know, it's just not possible. I don't know anybody and I don't know how to do it and I don't know where to go to study it. And I wasn't gonna get the support at home. Uh, but this guy, just having him believe in me and having him kind of, you know, steer me in that direction uh, gave me the belief in myself, you know? And I think a lot of it comes down to having that belief. What's that? Had you acted at that point yet? Had no, you- No, like I, I, I hadn't, when I met him, I hadn't acted at all. Uh, I never took a class. Never took a class. I, I did some modeling. Uh, some some woman found me. I, I was on a, at a bus stop once, and she said, "Here, here's my card. Maybe you should model." But it really was different. Like the modeling, I never did as as a career. I kind of was picking up jobs here and there, uh, and and it was like paying for you know help pay for school a little bit, but, but it wasn't like I was a model turned actor. It was, uh, it was completely separated. I mean, I just, I was doing these modeling gigs and then, and then at the same time I met this guy, Mark, and, uh, and I started taking his acting classes and his, his was the first acting classes I ever took. And I was about 20 or nine, about 19, 20. And, and then at 21, I got my first professional job. So it happened very quickly. I mean, a lot of people, act for years and then don't get a job. And, um, and, then, and then Mark, after I was studying at NYU, he introduced me to an agent and, uh, and, and, I, and I got my first agent just off of his recommendation. Uh, and I remember I went up for a year for stuff and, and had an audition like every other week, sometimes uh, twice a week. And, and back then they didn't have they didn't have emails, you know? So when, when the agency said, uh, hey, we have an audition for you, I had to take the train all the way into Manhattan from Queens, which is a 30, 40 minute, you know, train trip and then a uh, subway trip. And then, and then they would leave the script out in a manila envelope with my name on it. And then I would get it. And then I would have to take the train home. And then I have to take the train back in the next day to like, you know, audition. 
So uh, it's a lot easier now when people are just sending emails back and forth. You want the script, two seconds later, you have it. Back then it was like, I got a, I got a 30, 40 minutes since I hadn't just read the script. Um, but but it, was, it was cool because, you know, I, ha I had an agent at the time where a lot of people, that's one of the hardest things to do is get an agent. And, and just off his recommendation, I had an agent and I was studying at NYU. And, and then uh, I went up for a year and I didn't book anything. Like I, and, and, but I was so naive at the time that I thought I, I was like, I was just happy to be acting, you know? So when I went on auditions, I was like, oh, here's an opportunity. Cause I went from like being super shy to, oh, now I get to perform and I get to, uh, you know, I get to act and here's an opportunity for me to act. And so I didn't understand that like, it was really competitive or really hard. I was just showing up doing you know my thing and then i'd leave feeling like i had this high because i got to act you know in the meantime i was probably tanking in every single room that i went in and and i didn't even know it because i was just like i got to say lines and i got to act this is this is so much fun you know but then after a year of not booking anything i started thinking oh wow well if i don't book something i think i think my agents are gonna fire me because why would they keep me you know and so every time I got a script, it started becoming like, at first it was like getting a Christmas gift. Every time I got a script, it was like, I was, I was like, oh, it was like opening up a gift. And towards the end of that year, it was like, they'd be like, you have an audition tomorrow. And I'd be sweating like, oh God, if I don't get this one, you know? And then eventually I, uh, after that year, I booked, I booked this little movie called Angela. I, uh, Rebecca Miller, Arthur Miller's daughter wrote and directed it. And it was literally like two or three scenes in this little movie, but it went to Sundance. And, uh, and that was cool it was when Sundance was really arts films. Um, and, and, and that was like the kind of the launch of my career. Just getting a paycheck for it was incredible. I mean, I was 20 years old. I think I made like $250, you know, for this part. But I was like, wow, I got, actually I got paid to act, which is kind of cool, you know? Uh, and then I remember telling my parents that I was transferring into NYU to study theater. And they were like, well, why are you studying theater? You're going to be a lawyer. And I said, well, you know, as an actor, I'm really shy. So these acting classes will help me be a lawyer. And they didn't know any better. So they, they bought it. And they, 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 it was kind of nice that they didn't know anything because, like, I could tell them anything. And they'd be like, oh, okay. You know? That's great, man. What was your original teacher's name? Your original acting coach? Um, Mark A Mark Amiton, yeah, Amiton. Is he? Are you still in touch with him? Yeah, uh, he's retired now, but I still talk to him. He's like a mentor to me. He's like I call him my Yoda, you know, because he's like literally gives me great pearls of wisdom and advice all the time. That's amazing, man. We've all had those folks in our lives that like one person that kind of alters the trajectory of your life. But that, that's that's it's so such a powerful, such a powerful. Yeah connection is is just so powerful you know when something like that happens well i remember reading somewhere it said the difference where you are today and the difference where you'll be a year from now is just a matter of the people that you meet in that year and if you don't meet anybody you're going to be exactly in the same place so yeah. really the people that you meet are the ones that kind of help you along your journey and those people you really can't plan it's the universe just drops them in your life. Like I couldn't have planned meeting Mark Amazon. Um, kind of showed up and, and, uh, and I was thankful for it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild, man. I mean, your, your trajectory is it's, it's super compressed into like a very short period of time. So my, my main office is on fifth Avenue in Manhattan in the village, right by NYU. It's on fifth Avenue and 10th street. And I have a lot of like celebrity acting patients, you know, some of whom the, few who are like you know huge big time oscar type folks but the great bulk of my my patients who are acting are you know bit like they do like small parts or like character roles like folks that you wouldn't even necessarily know who they were like little parts in law and order and, like, and all that sort of stuff but that's been their their entire career mm. and what's so fascinating to me is like you know there's certain there's certain like tipping point events in life that kind of alter your trajectory and, and you've had obviously a tremendous career you know you're you're i mean you're a friggin' movie star um what like looking back at your obviously that initial event that sentinel event of like you know meeting 
your initial instructor and who kind of, you know, really got you coached in the right way to get that first part. For you, what would you say is like when you knew that, hey, you know what? Like, and when you were able to tell your family, your parents that this is like, like I'm legitimately an actor and I'm, I'm going to make a living doing this. What was like the very first time that happened? And of course there's different levels to that. You know, I, I never really thought about it. Um, I, I mean, I never really thought of, it all just kind of happened. It's not something, it's like life. It's like, it just happens, you know? And then you don't really think about, oh, this is now I've made it. I mean, I still don't look at myself as I've made it because I. you always have different tiers of goals. So you're just always going, 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 going. You get this, then you want this, then you want this. My first goal, my only goal when I started, I said, uh, and I remember this, it was, I was taking, when I went to St. John's University, I took an uh, acting 101 class. It was an elective. Uh, actually, that might have been my first class before I even met Mark Amazon. And uh, I, might have, I might have met him at the same time. And I remember I was in this acting class with this kid and I was having such a good time because I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of fun and this is something that I've always dreamed of doing and I really liked it. Uh, and, and this kid said to me, and I forget his name, he said, uh, yeah, this is fun, but what are the chances of us ever actually making a living out of this? You know, and I got kind of, I kind of got like annoyed that he said that, like, cause I was like, well, who are you to tell me I can't, you know what I mean? In my mind. So my whole beginning was like, I, I want to get a paycheck. I want to get a paycheck for this. I don't care if, if it's going to, I don't care if it takes me to 70 years old, I'm going to get a paycheck for this. And that stubbornness kind of drove me too. Cause it was like, I wanted to prove that kid wrong. I wanted to prove that I could actually, you know, get, a paycheck just for, for acting, you know? And, and, uh, and so then I had met Mark and then, and then it became about just seeing if I could get a job and then I got a job and that led to another job. And then the first bigger role I got was, uh, I think over the summer of 95, I, I did that uh, little movie with Rebecca Miller where I had like three scenes in it. And then in January of like 96, um, I remember, I got the uh, the guest starring role in a Law and Order episode, so that was like my big first break of of like I I was the guest lead, and uh, and so I was twenty probably twenty twenty one, and so seventy three out of eighty three ninety three, yeah, I was like I was like twenty one, and uh, and so I got that role. And then when, when the episode came out, I said, dad, I'm, I'm going to be on TV. And he didn't understand, you know, that I was, he was, didn't even, I don't even think he understood. I was, I was studying acting. So he's like, what do you mean? You know? I was like, yeah, yeah, I got this role on Law and Order. I'm going to be on this uh, Law and Order episode. And then he sat down to watch it. And I think he really thought I was like going to like pass by in the background or like, hey, that's my son's hand, you know? And I was actually the lead of it. So he was like kind of shocked that I was the lead of this episode. Um, but even then, I don't think it really, my dad really understood it because it was like 10 years into my career. And he'd be like, listen, if you don't make it, you always have your room back at my house. And I'd be like, I, okay, but I got three kids now, dad. So I think I'm all right. <laughs> That's great. That's classic, man. So did you, you never had a plan? Well, there's a couple of things I want to touch on there. One is, you never had a plan B. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the, I, I think one of the biggest ways to attain a goal, like your goal to become an actor. Like you never, yeah. you know, you weren't, like, you had like a fake plan B, like you were going to be a lawyer, but that was never really a real plan. Like your plan yeah. was like, you got pissed off when the guy, your friend said, Hey, we can never make a career out of this. You're like, dude, I know that I don't, that's my plan, which is, yeah. I think a big part of why you were successful. But did you ever have a day job? Did you ever need to have a day job? Um, I had jobs before, before I started working as an actor. Uh, but after I started working as an actor, I've, yeah, I never, I never had a, a, a other, another job after that. It was, I mean, other than acting, um, right. which was kind of lovely. To, I mean, to have a, be able to have a career that quickly. I mean, I went from not having acted at all to become a professional actor within like three years. And then, and then, then having a 25 year career of, of, of being able to, you know, pay my bills acting and, and take care of myself. So 
I mean, um, I feel very fortunate in that sense, but because you hear people that they come out and they, they're like, I'm going to try it for five years. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll do this, you know? Well, my goal was opposite. It was like, I don't care how long it takes. I don't care if it takes me to 70, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? And I think, I think it's really a mindset because when you put that out and that mindset into the universe, the universe gives it back to you. So it was like, there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to do it. It was like, I don't care if it takes one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, I'm gonna do it, you know what I mean? So that mentality is, I think, what would help to solidify it quicker. That, and, and I, I'm a firm believer that you have to have a goal and just keep that goal in your mind. I, I, I really like, I would think about it all the time, like from like 18 to 21, 17, even when I was younger, I daydreamed about becoming an actor, even when I wasn't acting or had no idea how to do it. Like a lot of times you don't have to know how to achieve the goal. You just have to have the goal and then take steps towards it. And then every, the universe will support it. You know what I mean? But uh, it's a lot of times your fears hold you back. And, and anybody that has a plan B is telling the universe, yeah, I'm going to do the plan B. I didn't have a plan B. It was either, uh, you know, do this as a living or, or I don't have a backup plan. It was, and, and I think that it's sink or swim then, you know what I mean? It's like, if it forces you to have to, to have to put all of your energy towards that. Dude, I'm so in with that 1000%. Everything you just said is like my mantra of life. Um, <laughs> have a goal, be honest about it. Don't have a plan B, do whatever it takes as long as it takes to get there. I was just had, I was in another conversation before this one and I, you know, I had a podcast guest who was like kind of quick with these little one liners and you mentioned focus and you know, he's like, well, focus is an acronym, follow one course until successful, you know? Mm, so it's kind of like, like you know, your, your vision of being an actor is like, and that's the kind of way I attack life too. It's, it's, a, it's a mindset thing and it's about, listen, you're going to fail. There'll be failures. There'll be hiccups. You had a year where you didn't get apart, you know, but you kept plugging away, yeah. kept plugging away, kept plugging away, kept plugging away, kept plugging away until you got your break. That law and order. So you were. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, there was a. I was just saying there was a, a cool story I heard. It's like if somebody said to you, if you lend somebody ten thousand dollars and your friend is skirting, you know, keeps skirting you, and, and he, he's not, you know, he's not giving you the ten thousand dollars back, and you're trying to get in touch with him, and you're just not hearing from him, and you that would make you feel really annoyed, right? Uh, but if you're all of a sudden you ran into your friend and he's like, Hey man, it's been three months. I'm so sorry. Uh, but your checks in the mail, I totally got this great job and I put it in the mail yesterday. So you're going to get it all of a sudden you feel really relieved. Right. And, but you don't have the check, but you know, it's coming. So right. that's how you got to live. And that's how you got to, when you have a goal, like, you know, the checks in the mail, you know, it's coming. I love it. Instead of feeling like you're chasing the guy that's, you know, where's my money? Where's my money? Where's my money? How come I don't have it? What's going on? No, you, you act like, I know I'm going to get it. The check's in the mail. It's coming, you know? And then you feel more relaxed about it. And then, then, it, then it comes. Glasses half full, man. That's a, that's a glasses half full attitude. A mindset of abundance, you know, all, all yeah. that sort of stuff, you know? Um, so let me ask you, that law and order gig, how much does that pay you? Oh man, I'm probably like a thousand bucks or something like that, twelve hundred bucks, you know. Uh, and then off of that, I was uh, I was on set, and uh, and Dick Wolf came came down to visit, and he said, "Listen, I've been watching dailies. I like I like what you've been doing. You know, what what, what do you want to do?" And I, and I was like, "Well, I I'm, I'm studying acting in NYU. You know, I was still actually in school at the time studying." Uh, and he said, no, I know you, you're an actor. Like, what kind of stuff do you want to do? I was like, I, I don't know. And he's like, well, uh, I have another TV series uh, that I think you'd be right for the guest lead for that. Why don't you come in and audition? So I went in and I read for that and I booked that one while I was on Law & Order. Uh, so now I've got, you know, back-to-back -back leads on these two guest starring, you know, shows. And I was just going to take off two weeks and go back to school to finish up because I had like, you know, one more... Uh, semester so i had like 15 more credits to finish my diploma uh and and but i but i was so behind now because i had to take off the month i was like well i'll just take off i'll just take this this semester off and uh and then i'll go back you know but then i just kept working and i never went back 
so it was funny because I ran into Dick Wolf once at the um, at the SAG Awards. I was I had been a part of Six Feet Under, and we were up for Best Ensemble uh, Cast. And and I saw Dick Wolf, and I said, you know, Dick, you're the reason why I don't have my diploma. I said, but but you're the reason I have my my SAG cards. So I'm, it's a good trade off, and I, I much prefer to have this SAG card than my diploma. Uh, because it served me well. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, no one's ever asked me, where's your diploma from NYU? You, you don't have to, you can't get this job because of it. But like, you know, I felt like it, it, I learned what I, what I needed to learn. And then I, the rest was, I was learning as I go and, 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 and doing so. Learn while you earn. That's what I always yeah. say. You learn while you're in. So what, what was that show? What was the show that you were doing like right after Law and Order? Uh, it was called The Wright's Verdict. It was a very short-lived uh, little TV series, but uh, but I only had that one episode, so my episode aired, which was nice. Right. So, like you know, like I said, I have a lot of patients who are, who are actors, and a lot of them have day jobs. You know, like the classic story: waiter, waitress, bartender. Mm. Um, so you know, everyone who's in commercials wants to be on a TV show. Everyone's on a TV show wants to be in a movie. You know, so when was like, was that like the, was that the, like the mindset, like you're, you're doing all these TV shows where you're like, well, I really want to be a mo in a movie now. Or like, how did that all happen? No, I was how, just how stoked. Honestly, I was just stoked to be acting uh, at all. Like, uh, you know, just getting a paycheck for acting was fantastic. Uh, right after that, I, I actually did a movie called Foxfire, which was with Angelina Jolie. Um, and so I was in Portland, Oregon, doing a movie with Angelina Jolie. And then I started doing movies after that. Uh, and I did, went back and forth for a while. I was doing like little t TV stuff. I was doing some, um, some movie of the weeks. They, had, they did a lot of movie of the weeks by, back then, but I was getting the leads in them. So I did like three or four of them, which was great for me to cut my teeth on those. And, like, and then I would go and do a movie. And, and then I would do, you know, then I did Scorpion King and I did Supernova, which were big movies. Uh, and then for a while, I, I was like, I'm only going to do movies. And then a TV series came along called Fastlane. And I was like, wow, this is this is like every show that I grew up watching, like Dukes of Hazard meets Starsky and Hutch. It was just super fun. And I and I and I couldn't turn that down. And, and I, I did that show with Bill Bellamy and he was so much fun to work with. And uh and then we did that show first when we only got one year out of that show, which was a bummer because we had pretty good ratings. It was just a super expensive show. But, you know, you go one job to another. And uh, I remember working with Steve Zahn. He was like, yeah, I got another gig after this. And I was like, oh, I like I like calling it a gig, <laughs> you know, yeah, just doing this gig, doing that gig. You do this gig, you do that gig and you just uh, jump around. Some some of them are hit. Some of them don't but they're not really, you know, in your control. All I can control is, do I like the script? Do I like the cast? Um, you know, it's all like playing, uh, it's all a bet, like going to Vegas. Like you never know. Like when we did Twilight, uh, you know, we didn't know it was gonna be that big. I honestly thought maybe this movie might come and go. We didn't think we were gonna be able to shoot a second one if not enough people showed up for the first one. And then all of a sudden it became a huge success. So. Honestly, you, you, I show up, I do my job. When people say, uh, well, what's your favorite project? I'm like, I put just as much energy into this project as into that one. So like, they're all my favorites. Cause at the end of the day, when I go home, I've given it my all. And then, and then you give it over to an audience and you hope that they like it, you know? Was there like, um, like when you did, was Twilight like, I mean, obviously, like you were an actor, you were rec people were recognizing you, but now like everyone recognizes you. You can't you can't go anywhere without getting recognized, type of thing. Mm -hmm. Light that would you say did that? Like you know, where it's like you know, paparazzi. You know, again, I I honestly don't never think about it. Like sometimes people got to remind me because I'm like the guy that's picking his nose or spitting on the floor, and they're like this paparazzi over there. Like I don't walk out of the house like going I'm a celebrity and I got to be careful. But then sometimes I'm like changed at some point there must have been like a palpable change of energy around you at some point i mean like honestly like because i did can't hardly wait which was a pretty big movie back then so like right off the bat i had a successful movie where i was recognizable you know so it wasn't like i was like oh now i'm more recognizable or less recognizable i just was like oh i'm doing stuff that people like and people are in you know so 
or I'd be doing this TV movie and I was leading and then I'd be in the grocery store three days later and somebody would have seen it and said, oh my gosh, I saw you in this TV movie. I really like that, you know? So, uh, so gradual, when something happens gradually, it's like the boiling of frog. It's not like, like there's some people have that one instant hit and then all of a sudden they go from like zero to a hundred. But like I've, uh, from the beginning of my career, I've had, you know, leads in this or, this movie was successful or you know this tv movie was on and people saw that and so my whole thing is like I, i've done a lot of different things with my career like i've done action drama comedy and i play a lot of different characters so like i'll get people come up to me and they'll say oh i, I love your work and i'm but i don't know what they they'll have seen me in you know what i mean so i try to guess and i'll be like oh well this guy probably likes fast lane because like he's like kind of a macho kind of guy and i'm and usually wrong because i remember this guy came out to me he was like hey man i love your work and i was like oh thanks what do you like and i'm thinking he's gonna say fast lane or scorpion king or something like macho and he's like nurse jackie dude that's like the best show and i was like i can't imagine this guy going I can't hang out tonight fellas gotta watch nurse jackie yeah <laughs> so that's amazing. uh so I have no idea. And then sometimes I think, oh, this person probably likes Twilight, but then they liked something else of mine. And I still get quotes thrown uh, from Can't Hardly Wait. Like people still are throwing quotes at me from that movie. What's yeah. That? Cult classic. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a couple of things I'm gleaning from that. So one is, I mean, it's just you're a guy who's, you had a one-track mind. You really embraced the grind of the process. And, you know, for you, it was like there was all these wins along the way that, you know, kind of um, justified the dream that you had and the vision that you created for yourself. And, you know, you basically, it's, you know, it's empowering, like each one of those things. And you, you, you embraced it. It was like a, a slow, I mean, it was a fast, it was actually a fast rise for you, but, yeah. but it was, you, you, you embraced the process. I have a, I have a funny story. So when our kids, when my daughter was in kindergarten, she's my oldest and Sophia, your niece, was in kindergarten. You actually, I mean, in kindergarten or first grade. You were actually the, you were with, you were visiting New York at the time and you came to back to school night. And uh, yeah. you were the group right before us. So I didn't know Lisa. I knew who Lisa and Leon kind of were, but I never, we just moved to that neighborhood. Never spoke to them before. Mm. And you were there. My, I don't really watch much TV and stuff, but my wife was like, that's Peter Facinelli. Like, you know, she knew who you were. And then we went in to go see the teachers they were all like, oh, my God. Like, you know, I was like these two teachers who were, I guess, obsessed with Twilight or something. But it's interesting because you're – so you're you're on the inside looking out. So, you know, you you probably don't yeah. realize the, 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 the way people – the energy around you, you know, because you're, you know, you're, you're on the inside looking out. But it was actually quite fascinating to see it from the outside, from my perspective, from the outside looking at you. And, you, know, you looked like a movie star. You had, like, a leather jacket and a scarf and, like, you know, just looked like a cool dude, you know. Uh, but it was a funny story. It's from maybe like must have been like six or seven years ago. It's pretty pretty wild. That's um, funny. Yeah, I rarely I rarely see that because like I just don't look at it that way. So I'm, I'm you're right. I'm from the inside looking out. And also like uh, look, we could sit here and I could talk about all these wonderful things and we could say, well, you know, he's had this great career and you know, but it's kind of like, and I'll equate it to uh, baseball. It's like look. My batting average is probably like 250. You know what I mean? For all the things that you see, there's uh, seven out of 10 things that I went up for that I didn't get that like, you know, there's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of, uh, you know, things that, that I would love to have done that I that I didn't get. Like I was, uh, I think top, top, I was came in second for, for a movie called Requiem for a Dream, which was a, an incredible movie. And I was so bummed I didn't get that. I was like one of the top, choices for boogie nights and i didn't get that so like you look at those things and uh, those things happen all the time they still happen like there's things that i would love to do here and like you don't get that and then you get this and and so people are always seeing like the tip of the iceberg when they see people that are successful but they don't see underneath the water all the things that led to that and uh and so i guess that's why i don't walk around feeling like you know the the than the bee's knees and look at me. It's just like, I'm just, hey, I'm, I'm trying to do my thing and struggling and uh, doing you know, my journey and everybody's doing theirs, so. Yeah, you actually took the words out of my mouth. I was gonna use that iceberg yeah. analogy, you know, but 
failure way to success. You know, it's like the 80-20 yeah. rule. You know, it's like all of these things are all are saying the same thing. Um, so I want, I want to talk a little bit about like how you when you went from acting because you know you were trained as an actor and you know you really dove into acting. When did like writing and producing start? Like when did you have an interest in that? When did you like you know start like you know getting some traction with that? Well, I think in the I think I always had the mind of a set of a director because like I would always sit down and even when I got the scripts I'd be like I think this would make it better or or like this line might be better. And, and sometimes directors hate that. <laughs> and sometimes writers hate that too. And sometimes they're very collaborative. So I try to be very respectful, even in the beginning of my career. But if there's things that I thought it could make it better, then you know, I would always at least try. Um, and, then, and then as my career went on, I would get these scripts and you, you know, I read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scripts. And, and, and a lot of times they're not good, you know? So, um, so after a while, I was like, well, if, if people are making this, I could make something, you know? So then I think writing really came out of uh, just necessity of wanting to, to tell stories myself that I wasn't getting, you know? Uh, so I sat down, I remember writing my first movie and, uh, and I was really excited about it. And, and I gave it to my agent and he laughed at me, literally laughed at me. Like it was a movie about a guy who's like Juilliard trained and, uh, and then, and, and he wants to be this, this, uh, this really respected actor, but he gets this job as, as the guy in the Barney suit, you know? And, uh, and so he's on this kid's television show and, uh, and then he crashes his car into this girl, this woman who has this, this daughter. And then, and then he realizes through this woman and through this daughter that like, what's really important in life, you know what I mean? And he becomes less bitter because he's on a kid's show that, and he hates all the kids and he's like miserable, you know? So it was a comedy and I gave it to him and it was called, at the time it was called Henry the Happy Hippo, you know? And my agent looked at me and went, Peter, Henry the Happy Hippo, Peter. And I was like, so no, you don't like it? And he just went, Peter. And I just felt so like deflated. But at the same time, I was like, well, fuck, him. fuck that guy. You know, I don't know if you're allowed to say that on your show, but I was like, the hell with that guy. So uh, I literally just kept writing it, kept over the years, it took me like two, three years, I would just rewrite stuff and, and work on it, like kind of sculpt it, you know? And then a couple of years later, like maybe four or five years later, I ended up actually getting it made. I got it made as a Hallmark movie. So like when somebody knocks you or puts you down, you could do two things, either give up or you just make, I, the one thing I have in me is a little bit of stubbornness. So when someone says you can't do that, it makes me want to prove them wrong. So just like that one kid that was like, oh, I don't think we could be actors. I was like, no, I'll prove you wrong. And when he laughed, I was like, you know, that was gut-wrenching. Here's your agent and he's you know and along the way too i was trying to get it made and you get feedback and people don't like it and they kick it's like a kick in the nuts all the time and and you just keep going and keep going keep going and then i finally got it it produced and uh, and made and it was a, it came out as a hallmark movie and it was it was kind of fun to actually write and produce something but not i wasn't in it you know because i didn't want to i didn't want to be in that one i just wanted to kind of produce it and write it and and show that i could you know, write and produce as well, um, and keep it separate. What was and then, uh, and then I, sorry, but just for the folks that aren't really. Yeah. So when you know, obviously, when you're writing, you're creating the world, and you write the script, and then when you're uh, when you're producer, you actually are overseeing the project. So you're uh, you're helping decide who the director is going to be. You're helping decide who the actors are going to be. You're helping to decide, like uh, you know, the but the budget of, of the, the film, and and you're kind of like the overall supervisor. And there's lots of them. You know what I mean? So there's not just one producer. There's producers that bring in money, uh, so they're like equity money producers. And then there's creative producers, which I was a creative producer on that, so I was kind of like overseeing it. Um, and 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 what was great about that was. Here's a great story. When one of the first people that gave me a chance was this director uh, who I was doing a TV movie when I was in my early 20s. It was like my second, it was actually my first big 
uh, starring role in a TV movie. And this director, uh, I went up and I auditioned for it for like five times. And there was a producer that was like, no, absolutely not. There's no way he's gonna be in it. I don't want him. Fought, 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 no, no, no. And the director fought for me and said, no, no, no. I think this is the guy. He had me back in. I really like this guy. And he, and he went toe to toe with this producer and he won. And he put me in the, the movie and I got some of the best reviews I ever got from that TV, from that TV movie. So it was kind of nice to, to prove that guy wrong again, uh, that he was, he didn't want me. And he actually apologized after the movie came out. He's like, look, I didn't know. I didn't think you had it in you, but the reviews were fantastic. Um, so years later, that director had left Hollywood for a while and, uh, and he was, he moved to like, you know, different, different state and, and, and left the business for a little while. And when he came back in, he was looking to, to work and I ended up hiring him to do the TV movie that I wrote, you know? So it was kind of full circle, oh, which wow. was kind of fun. Uh, and, I, and I like that. I like when things come full circle that I was able to pay to give him the job to, you know, now that he's coming back and, and, and starting to work again. Um, so that was really nice. And I enjoyed working with him on that. Uh, and then the director really is the one that tells the story. Like they, they basically, every, every frame, every sound, every visual picture is, uh, is, is the director chooses. So like the director chooses the cast, the clothes, the colors, uh, the tone of the film, the music. It's a, it's a huge responsibility because you're working with lots of different departments. It's kind of like building a house. You, you'd be like the general contractor who's just like, shopping all the, the departments out but you're you're overseeing them all and then you got to make sure that house is you know sturdy and doesn't you know leak so let's come let's come to like the your most recent yeah. project so this is a project that you, you wrote you directed i imagine you produced you're a producer on that as well um from like soup to nuts what, what talk to us about the whole thing you know like a little bit about like what inspired it and etc i mean and just like when you, the idea turned into like an actual script and then when that turned into the process of making the movie. Um, well, so just... yeah, sure. So, so I had, I went on this road trip when my daughter was like five or six and, um, and she, we went on this road trip and we, we pulled up into this little RV park and uh, I went to go pay and I heard some gunshots. And I looked up and the guy said, oh, don't worry. There's a prison down the road. They do drills. Uh, two or three gunshots is, is, is normal. Anything more than that, though, come running to the front desk. <laughs> so, and he kind of chuckled. And I was like, oh, great. So I went back to the RV and I, I couldn't sleep the whole night because I was thinking, well, what if, an, what if a convict escapes? Like, what if, my, what if my daughter went missing? What would happen if my daughter went missing in the middle of these woods? It, it's so beautiful out here, but it would be like a horrific thing happening against beauty. Uh, and then I was thinking it would be like looking for a needle in a haystack because there's just acres and acres of woods out here in the middle of nowhere. The nearest town is like 45 minutes away. Who would help me? And then I started thinking about like, well, what would that do to my marriage? Would I blame my wife? Would she blame me? Like, would our marriage collapse? Like, so I started having all these questions about it. And out of that kind of grew this story, which is about two parents who go to this RV park and their daughter goes missing. And, and it's about them trying to find their kid and, and how it, 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 uh, the effect it has on their marriage. So I, to answer those questions, it was my way of uh, answering those questions was writing the script. And so I wrote it, but I thought about it for a long time. I wrote the script in three weeks. When was this trip? Oh, uh, that was... Uh, well, she, it was probably somewhere between her being five and 10. She's 20 years. So that was like 12 years ago, maybe even longer. So you know? It was ruminating for a while. Yeah, it ruminated, like ruminating it ruminated definitely for a while. Um, you know, I, I wrote the script in three weeks. I wrote another script. When did I write that? When did you write it? Uh, that was about seven, eight years ago. So like, it takes time. Okay. Like, it's literally like you can create something, but... It, it, it's not up to you sometimes when it gets made. You know what I mean? Uh, there, you hear stories all the time that, oh, that movie has been around for 10, 15 years and then it got made and it, won an, it wins an Oscar somewhere, you know? Uh, so like, 
I, I mean, I hope that I, that I get uh, less, more, less times between projects that I get off the ground because I, I can't take 10 years every time to get a project off the ground. But my first movie was about seven or eight years too because I wrote that in three weeks. And then, you know, by the time you get, get the financing, I had to fall apart four or five times. A movie called Lucy's that I wrote and directed. And I didn't direct that, I just wrote it. I wrote and starred in that one. Uh, There's a director named Michael Corrente who directed that. That was the fir- one of the first movies after the Hallmark movie that I got made, uh, that I wrote. And and uh, it was a fun cast. It was Michael, Michael Madsen was in that and Vincent Gallo, Joey Pants, uh, super fun cast. It was about a, a pickpocket in New York. And so that one, again, I was like riding around the subway and I was like, what would it be like to be a pickpocket in the subway? I mean, that'd be kind of fun, you know? And what if this subway, what if this kid lived with his mom, you know? And he went, and his mom thought he worked on Wall Street and every day he left in a suit and tie, but he went down and he just pickpocketed people all day. That would be kind of fun. And so I wrote that movie. And I was like, what if he got a girl pregnant and then all of a sudden had to grow up and like take responsibility for something for once in his life. And like, so like, it's just, a, it's, a, it's like daydreaming. You daydream this story. And I thought, oh, that's kind of fun. And then you sit down and then I daydream about it a lot and it ruminates in me a lot. And then it gets to a point where I just got to get it out. And that's why the writing process for me is quick. Cause like I wrote that in three weeks and I wrote The Vanished in three weeks. But I mean, I might've lived with it for like a year or even longer before I, before I even put fingers to, to a keyboard. Because I, because I daydream about it and you start thinking about this and different parts of the movie and different characters. And there, look, there, there are people that sit down and they do these note cards. I never went to school for that. I don't know how to do note cards and move them around on a big board. I just do everything in my mind and then, and then I let it all out. And when, it, when it's coming out, it's like literally like it's the writing itself. I don't even, it's like, oh, it's going there today? Okay, and I just kind of follow it. And then usually I've been lucky because those drafts have been very close to the drafts we've shot, like very minor changes after that. You know? That's amazing. You know, the card thing is funny. Someone recommended this book to me a while ago called Save the Cat. You probably oh, read- yeah, yeah. I have it. I haven't read that, but I, but I have it. Don't, don't bother. Don't. It took me forever. To, you'll might you might resonate with you a little bit more, but I'm I once I start a book, I can't finish it. It took me forever to get through that it's book. It's a thin book. Someone gave it to me. They were like, "I think you'd like this." And I and I was like, "Yeah, I should read that." And then I just never ended it. That's the whole card thing for writing a movie. So okay. I, think, I think it comes from that book. Um, so t- so when did you start actually making the movie? So you wrote it a while ago. Um, when did you start? The, the vanish you're talking about. Yeah. The about about a year well let me think about what's it 2020 right now i mean with covid this whole year has been like uh so so i would say 2019 uh yeah just just towards the end of 2018 uh so like december 2018 is when we shot it and then i started yeah so then uh, by mid december by by mid June 2019, I had it finished, and then it came out. Um, and so who then pays it, for all that? So that's like six months of like filming on location somewhere. Yeah. And- well, filming is, is really like um, is the quickest part. Filming is like usually 20, 30 days for an independent film, and then you know. But what takes the longest is putting it together because you have to edit it. You have to, you know, add music to it. You have to color correct it. You have, there's so much that goes into the post-production of the film. Uh, the movie's really made after you, after you shoot it. You just need the pieces in order to build the house. Like I always equate it as like, I always try to equate it as building a house. So it's like you go out and you get all the lumber and all the equipment is the filming part of it, right? So first you have the blueprint, which is the script. Then you go out and you get all your tiles, your lumber, your, you know, your cement, your, your, you know, whatever you think you need to build that house. And then you go into the editing room uh, and, and in post-production, you actually physically build that house. And sometimes you're like, oh, well, the, th- this doesn't fit. So you're moving stuff around and then, you, you know, but it, you can make a uh, hundred different movies in the editing room. You know, it's a, it's just a matter of how you put something together. I, but you I mean, definitely need the pieces. You definitely need the pieces. 
No, I love that analogy. I think it really, I mean, maybe you have a much better understanding of the process. Um, so it sounds like an incredibly laborious process, like when you're actually like editing it down to color correction. I mean, even for when I make an Instagram post, I post like a little video basically every day. It takes forever. There's a lot of work that goes into it. So yeah. I, I a little my, my, a microcosm of, of what it would take to make an entire movie. But well, it's, it's interesting because you go from when you're on set, you're around 120 people, right? And it's like, I love being on set because I'm used to being on set. So for me, I get the more energy around me, I feed off of that energy. And then you're working with actors and you're working with your camera department, you're working with the sound department, you're working with the costume department and everybody's and makeup department. And they're all asking you questions all day long. And you're, you know, you're facilitating. It's like going to war. Like you're just without having obviously <laughs> your life on the line. But, uh, but, uh, but, when, but it's like being in the trenches is what I mean. You know, you're really physically, it's exhausting because you're shooting 14, 15, 16 hours a day. And then you're really trying to make sure you have all the pieces to, you don't want to, you don't want to miss out and be like, oh, I don't have that piece when you're in the editing room. You're like, oh, I don't, I didn't get that, you know? So, uh, so you, you're trying to get all those pieces. And then, and then when you go to editing, when you go to post-production, it's literally you and one other guy in a dark room and you're there for like, you know, a month and it's so lonely. You know, <laughs> this is like you and one other guy. Some directors love that part of it and they're kind of antisocial and they hate the, 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 the set part of it. Like I heard Alfred Hitchcock hated the filming part of it. You know, he didn't like actors. He didn't like dealing with people. He just, he liked being in that editing room and being able to like create it there. Um, I'm kind of like, I like the set part and then the editing part is, I find lonely, but, it, but it's still, you know, I know how important that, that part is because that's where you're shaping everything, you know. So for this particular movie, are you flipping the bill for that? Like for, no, for all no, that? No, you have investors. Uh, you get, that's why it takes so long to make a movie. If I was footing a bill for every movie, it wouldn't take that long. But you have to find investors that come in, people that put up money, uh, and then sometimes that they, somebody falls out and then the whole thing falls apart, then you got to start over again. Um, so independent filmmaking is a lot, is a lot harder. When you, when you have a studio movie, the studio's footing the bill, you know? And most of the films I've done now have been independents. I'm, I'm producing a studio film right now. We just started going into pre-production, uh, which is kind of nice uh, because, you know, you know you have the money, you know there's a studio behind it, and it's more of like a machine, you know what I mean? You're just part of the machine. I know, which makes total sense. So when you did, when did you finish all the post-production stuff for The Vanished? Probably uh, mid-June, July, August, sometime last year. Uh, so then it takes another year to come out because, you know, they might, even though the movie was done last year, uh, they might go, okay, well, we're going to put this out in 2020, right? So they decide, do we want to put it out first quarter 2020? Do we want to put it out second quarter 2020, third quarter 2020, or fourth quarter 2020? And we were going to go out with this film, The Vanished, in March or April, but because of COVID, we pushed it back to August. So, you know, then the movie just kind of sits there and waits to come out because they try to figure out what's the best time to release the movie. Who, who's they? Uh, the, yeah, the producers. Well, at that point, you do have a distributor come on board. You know, after you make the okay. movie, you, you find a distributor and the distributor is the one who decides when the movie is going to be put out. I mean, I, I think it's important for like a lay person like me who's like a viewer of movies to yeah. understand like processes. You know, I just finished writing up like a book and like when I was done writing it, I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'm done. You know, like this is, I'm good to go. That's like the, the work just begins then, you know, like you gotta, yeah. then you got to figure out the typesetting and the distribution of it like you know so it's i, I mean you, you know and, and and then edit it yeah i wrote a i co-authored a, a young adult novel and uh and so here's another story for you guys so i i went to my agents i said hey uh, i got an idea for this book and they said uh yeah well books don't really pay uh much money up front and uh, you'd probably have to write it first and then you'd have to shop it, which is a lot of work. And basically they were saying, we don't want to help you, you know? Right. So, uh, so I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess, you know, me, cause I get stubborn and I want to do it. Okay. Well then if you can't say it's done, can be done. I'll just go do it, you know? And so I, I partnered up with uh, another writer that I liked 
Uh, I read some books that, that he had done and I thought he was a good fit. So I pitched him the idea. And then he was like, yeah, I really like that. And he was actually an author that's had books come out and, and one, you know, been bestsellers. And, uh, and so we wrote the first few chapters and then we sent that to um, publishers. Uh, and, and you, you, you know, they were like, he was like, look, what I've done in the past is you, you, you write the first three chapters, send it to publishers as a teaser, and then they'll come and, you know, if they like it, they'll come and they'll, they'll put up the rest the money to, for you to finish the book. And, uh, and so we sent it out to at least a hundred publishers, at least a hundred. And we got one yes. So 99 no's, one yes, but you only need one yes. So, you yeah. know, you're getting all these rejection letters and you're like, oh no, maybe, maybe this is not going to happen. And then we get one yes, which was a, a great publishing company called Little Brown, uh, who, who did the Twilight books actually. And, uh, and so then they came in and they, they paid us to finish the book. And then I went back to my agents and I said, hey, so the book that you said I couldn't sell, I sold it. And then they took 15%. So I was like, oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's, um, I'm going to let you go in a minute, but there's one other thing I want to talk to you about, man. So obviously like your, your mindset is amazing and, and I'm a big mindset guy, you know, like I, there's a few things that just from all of these stories that you've told me is a relentless mindset, you know, like you have just like a, a, a mindset geared to figure out a way to succeed. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that I thought was so cool was it was a quote somewhere. I think it was on some interview that you did on, on TV. Maybe it was on Tamron Hall or something where you were talking about your time in quarantine and you were like, you know, what you do in quarantine is really, um, it, it sort of embodies what your discipline is like and how disciplined you are. Cause you know, you can kind of use this time to do something productive or you can use this time to, you know, not, not do something productive. Mm. And I'm, I'm totally misquoting you, but it was something along. No, those I said, uh, there was a quote that I read. It said, if you come out of quarantine, exactly the same as you went in, then you didn't lack time. You lacked, uh, um, you lacked discipline. That's what right, it was. Yeah. So you basically came out of quarantine, like fucking jacked and ripped, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you got, you totally shredded during quarantine. And, and if anyone wants to see it, they can go to your Instagram and check it. Yeah. Check I lost, out. I lost 30 pounds in, 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 in quarantine. Cause I was like, you know what? I can't go out. So then I started going in. So I was like, I'm just going to meditate I'm gonna work on my body. I'm gonna work on my mind. And I, I do that every day. I read stuff. I, I took a, a course in hypnosis because I'm fascinated by, by you know, subconscious mind because everything starts with the mind. Even like the mindset of I'm gonna lose 30 pounds. I didn't necessarily start out to go, I'm gonna lose 30 pounds. I said, you know what? I want, I want a body like, like Brad Pitt and Fight Club. That's what I want. And I put a picture up of, it, of Brad Pitt and Fight Club. I said, that's what I want. And then you tell the universe, that's what I want. And then you wake up every day and you work towards that goal. And if that means, you know, watching your diet, then you start watching your diet. If that means going on the treadmill, you start going on the treadmill. And in the beginning, listen, I, I was out of shape. So like just a 10 minute walk on the treadmill, I was wiped, but you build up every day. It's, it's, a, it's persistence and like consistency. Those are the two things, consistency and persistence. If you show up and are consistent, and persistent then you could do anything you know i remember there was a there was an article or, or read somewhere or somebody maybe there's a video they said um when they when they asked about the nuclear nuclear bomb you know they asked the guy who created it they said do you think what would it take to create a nuclear you know nuclear bomb like to split an atom basically and he said only the will to do it if you have the will to do something, you'll find a way to do it. So it all comes down to that. Like, you know, people look at it as like, oh, it's too much. Like you, if someone gave you a giant cake and we're like, here, eat this. You look at it and go, oh my God, I can't eat this is a giant cake, you know, but it's one slice at a time, you know? And then you just, you eat it. You're like, but it's like, if you just have, you got to start with that will and then you got to have the persistence and the consistency. I love and it. it's like yeah. anything else. If you go to the gym every day, you'll you'll get muscles faster. If you go to the gym once every other week, then you're not going to be as in shape. So when you set your mind on a goal, the more you energy you put into it, the more is going to come back. You know, so show up every day, do something 
every day. It's so funny, man. All of the things you're saying are things that, like I say, I like make, make these Instagram posts, <laughs> these videos I make every day. Like, you know, one of the things in my book I talk about is getting your daily win. Like, you know, mm. for whatever your goal is. If you have a goal, you don't go to sleep that night until you get your win for the day that's going to get you one step closer to your goal. Yeah, you know? and I like, like that. that's it's all about goal setting. And all the things, so many of the things that you said just really resonate with all the things that I, that I, that I love to talk about, that I, write, I wrote about in my book, man. Um, just, I could talk to you all day, man. I'm just so well, glad to be Well, you have to, to send me a copy of it now. I want to read this book. Okay. Man. I'm going to send one to you. Peter, thank, listen, I'm going I'm to I'm 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 let you go. I just want to thank you so much, man. And I really, you know, Lisa told me, your sister, that, that, I, that I would really love chatting with you. And, you know, she's, she was absolutely right, man. I mean, I really, I love what you're all about. I can't wait to watch Thanks, you. Man. We're trying to find time to watch. It seems a little scary for my kids. So my wife and I got to sneak at carve out sometimes so we can watch it together. How, how old really... are your kids? 12, 10, and 8. How old are your kids? 12, 10, and 8. Yeah, 12, she's a little young. My, my daughter's uh, 13. She watched it. It's not so much scary as it is a thriller, uh, but 10 yeah. and 8 is, is young. So my, you might want to watch it with your wife first. For, self, for selfish reasons, my eight-year-old will be sleeping in my bed for a month and a half if, if, mm -hmm. if I watch it. Yeah. But we're definitely going to watch it. I'm super excited to see it. I want to thank you so much for your time, thank man. You. You're a beautiful human. Thank you, man. Uh, you too. God bless you. All right, brother. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Mudgill Podcast. The corresponding video can be found on YouTube, IGTV, and Facebook. Let's get it.